Welcome to Sullivan and Cromwell's podcast series, SNC Critical Insights. I'm Brendan Cullen, a partner in Sullivan and Cromwell's litigation group in our Palo Alto office. And with me is Tony Lewis, also a partner in our litigation group in our Los Angeles office. Today, we're going to provide an update and some key takeaways for building and sustaining an effective compliance program. Looking back in the last year, there have been some developments. Specifically, we've seen the U.S. DOJ promulgate new guidance on compliance programs, as well as a new edition of the FCPA resource guide for the first time in nearly eight years. These come at a time when U.S. enforcement agencies appear to be increasingly focused on corporate compliance and amid still heavy enforcement activity. Just to give you a sense, despite the COVID-19 pandemic, the United States SEC brought more than 700 enforcement cases in 2020, pulling in $4.7 billion in civil penalties and a record-setting nearly $3.6 billion in disgorgement. Tony, will you give a brief overview of what we'll discuss on this podcast and why an effective compliance program is important in the enforcement context? Certainly. This update builds on our last podcast about this topic, which is available online at www.solcrom.com. For this podcast, we'll build on our last podcast, discuss the updated guidance from certain U.S. enforcement agencies, and talk about certain changes to foreign enforcement regimes. Then we'll conclude with a few best practices. Compliance programs are important, especially in the enforcement context, for two major reasons. First, they provide for early detection, which creates an opportunity for the company to avail itself of the benefits that come from self-reporting to authorities. Second, in the event there is an investigation by an enforcement agency, maintaining an effective compliance program can translate into concrete benefits when trying to resolve that investigation. As to how it matters when resolving an investigation, it's taken into consideration first when prosecutors determine the form of resolution, meaning whether a company is charged with a crime or reaches some other agreement with the government, such as a deferred prosecution agreement. Second, when determining the amount of a monetary penalty. Third, it can affect whether a monitor will be imposed on the company. So now let's turn to the DOJ Criminal Division's guidance for how prosecutors will evaluate the corporate compliance program. As we discussed on our prior podcast and as headlined in the guidance, it asks three basic questions. First, is the corporation's compliance program well-designed? Second, is the program being applied earnestly and in good faith? And third, does the compliance program work in practice? And just to provide a high-level review of our last discussion and answering those overarching questions, the DOJ has focused on several key areas. Specifically, first, companies need to establish tone at the top with clear policies and procedures designed to ensure compliance, and both senior and middle management should be sending a clear message that misconduct will not be tolerated. Additionally, companies should have a clear reporting structure and a compliance function. This is a particularly interesting topic especially for multinational companies that may be within the reach of U.S. enforcement agencies. Although the U.S. agencies do not explicitly require the company's compliance function to be a standalone department, several Latin American countries require resource allocation and autonomy for the company's compliance function. That's a good point, Tony. For example, in Chile, the compliance officer body must have autonomy. In Brazil, they must have quote, independence and authority, unquote. And in Colombia, they must have both autonomy and, quote, the human, technological, and economic resources required, unquote, to be effective. 
in line with that, companies also need to train their employees in compliance. And there should be both an incentive and disciplinary measures in place to encourage compliant behavior. And employees and others need to know about the company's confidential reporting channels or whistleblower lines. This is another area where there is some developing guidance for multinational companies, especially those that operate in Latin America. Right, Brendan. Several countries, including Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, Peru, and Mexico, have been focusing guidance changes on reinforcing whistleblower protections, on increasing the awareness and use of anonymous reporting mechanisms. In fact, in Argentina, employee awareness rose from 48% in 2016 to 70% in 2020. In Peru, it rose from 38% in 2016 to 67% in 2020. The next area is also extremely important. According to the guidance, companies should ensure that third parties are vetted. Third parties include agents, consultants, distributors, and other vendors. As we mentioned before, this is an area of perennial focus for the DOJ, and I said it before and I say it all the time, if your compliance program can only do one thing well, vetting third parties should be the one thing that it does well. Companies also need to find ways to integrate data analysis in their compliance programs. In 2020, DOJ incorporated language from its new guidance into at least five deferred prosecution agreements and at least one so far in 2021, requiring companies to do exactly that. Data analytics are important. They can assist companies in enhancing their compliance program and are useful in demonstrating to regulators that the programs actually assess the appropriate risks. And finally, companies should exercise caution in mergers and acquisitions activity, which is a very, very good way to unwittingly inherit compliance risks. They should ensure that audits that they perform map onto the results of periodic risk assessments and that those audits, in turn, inform future risk assessments. And companies need to ensure that the compliance program is continually reviewed and improved to assess and address evolving risks. The June 2020 update to the guidance by DOJ emphasizes that companies need to use lessons learned to improve their compliance programs. The DOJ Criminal Division's guidance is a touchstone for all multinational companies whose operations have any connection to the United States. But depending on the nature of a company's operations, there may be other guidance to consider as well. Tony, what are some of the sources of other compliance guidance that companies and industry participants should be aware of? So on our last podcast, we discussed other relevant guidance from the DOJ's Antitrust Division and the recent framework issued by the U.S. Department of Treasury's Office of Foreign Asset Control, or OFAC, which administers U.S. sanctions. There have not been substantial guidance updates from these agencies since our last podcast, but on June 3, 2021, President Biden issued a memorandum on establishing the fight against corruption as a core United States national security interest. Although the memorandum does not announce any specific policy changes, new programs, or new enforcement targets, it does signal some areas of focus for the Biden administration's anti-corruption efforts. Of particular relevance, it emphasizes interagency coordination, international coordination, transparency in the financial system, strengthening financial institutions' frameworks to prevent corruption, accountability for professional service providers. This guidance is in line with the different guidance documents issued by various U.S. agencies over the last year. 
But these are just some of the compliance frameworks by some U.S. enforcement authorities. Other non-U.S. authorities' guidance may cover much of the same ground, or it may diverge. Brendan, will you talk through some of those? Sure. So as we discussed last time, when a company prepares to start an internal investigation, one of the important things it needs to figure out is how it will be approaching its employees. The U.S. DOJ generally expects companies will insist upon cooperation from their employees. But other countries may have other legal protections in place to protect employees in internal investigations in similar contexts. Also, companies can't just look at purely legal considerations when implementing a compliance program in different locations. As we discussed earlier, several Latin American countries are updating their guidance as to whistleblower protections and confidential reporting structures. This is an area where local attitudes can affect the whistleblower themselves and the persons receiving their report. And as we previewed, there are different legal requirements that apply to whistleblowers in different jurisdictions. Marrying these local cultural realities to the various legal requirements can be challenging for multinational companies. So, Tony, with all this in mind, let's talk about best practices that companies can have in mind as they sustain their compliance programs. Yeah, so first, as we discussed before, companies should document their compliance program itself, as well as any changes to their compliance program and the reasons for those changes. Prosecutors consider whether a program is effective both at the time of the misconduct, historically, and in the present at the time that a resolution is reached. Accordingly, it is also important to show the evolution of the compliance program over time and the reasons for those changes or improvements. But as we discussed before, this can be difficult without a system in place to record these details. Importantly, Based on recent trends since the DOJ's 2020 guidance, improvements oriented around collecting and analyzing data in particular are worth documenting, as well as any successes that come from those efforts. In other words, companies should make an effort to use a data-driven approach to improving their compliance function, tracking their successes. Second, companies should consider the structure, independence, and autonomy of their compliance functions especially when operating internationally. As discussed earlier today, some countries require the compliance function to have a certain level of autonomy and independence. Others require sufficient allocation of resources too. But it is also important for companies to get local input and buy-in while maintaining sufficient independence. It's often beneficial to give local stakeholders, including local managers and employees, a voice in crafting a compliance program for their region. These individuals have knowledge about local operations and culture. That's exactly right, Tony. As we discussed last time, top-down imposition of rules can cause branch offices to chafe when they aren't given, or at least don't feel like they've been given ownership over their operations. So involving local stakeholders can increase buy-in to the program, and local outside counsel are also a good resource for prospective to supplement the views of local management. That said, though, all that input needs to be incorporated in a way that doesn't detract from the autonomy of compliance personnel, which, as we've indicated before, is critically and increasingly important. Thanks, Brendan. That brings us to our last point, to keep adapting the program to changing circumstances. Companies' operations grow, and the regulatory environment evolves, 
It should review its current program to confirm it remains effective or make changes suited to those developments. Thank you, Tony. So to sum up quickly, an effective compliance program can save a company from serious consequences later on, not least of which could be a compliance monitor to help devise and implement a program that enforcement authorities may think should have been established in the first place. Moreover, given the guidance issued by DOJ and other agencies and statements by DOJ recently that it's prioritized training and hiring prosecutors to enhance DOJ's ability to evaluate corporate compliance programs, companies can expect more and more sophisticated scrutiny measured against that guidance. Thank you very much for listening to SNC Critical Insights. For more information about this topic, please see Tony in my chapter in the Guide to Corporate Compliance titled Developing a Robust Compliance Program in Latin America. You can read that chapter, access other helpful resources and insights, and find out more about our practice on our website, www.solcrom.com. Thank you.